see you worshiping uh, through this time. Uh, we praise the Lord for how he's already been working, amen? Amen. And how, and how he'll continue to work now uh, through the preaching of his word. Uh, it's so good to be back together. You know, it's been a minute, um, but it's, it's, it's such a joy to be back together uh, this afternoon. If you have a Bible, let me go and get you to turn to 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, as we continue uh, in our sermon series this afternoon through 1 Peter. And as you turn there, let me offer another word of prayer. God, you are so good. You are so merciful, so kind that you would allow us to be here this afternoon to sing of your praises, to pray to you, knowing that you hear us, to be able to hear your word this afternoon as it was read by Sister Sean and as it will be read here in just a moment by me and, and preached and as we've been hearing your word in the songs, Lord. Thank you for your revealed word to us through your son. God, thank you for saving us, not leaving us where we deserve, in our sin, experiencing your judgment. Instead, your son was judged in our place. He was crucified in our place and buried in the grave and rose on the third day. Thank you for Jesus. We are here because of Jesus. So God, I pray now as we continue to worship you, that you would set our eyes on Christ. Pray that you would increase and that I would decrease and that you'll be magnified through this entire time, Lord. God, as our sister Sean had already been praying, God, we are reminded, Lord, um, for those of us who are grieving this afternoon, God, we, we think of our sister Nicole, uh, who just lost her, her aunt, Lord. We, God, we pray that you would comfort her and the family. We pray, God, that uh, you would be near to her and her family. You are near to the brokenhearted, God. God, I pray that you would show your nearness to them in this time. God, we also pray that you would use this to be a platform for your gospel. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that she was able to share the gospel and read the word with her aunt. We thank you for even in your sovereignty using uh, the ministry to, to provide uh, the, the scripture, and I believe it was a blanket, Lord. Um, God, we pray. Um, yeah, Lord, we, we, we pray a prayer of just gratitude for those opportunities, and we pray, Lord, that you would use her to be a light now uh, in the midst of grief, in the midst of pain. God, would you bless this time? Would you glorify your son? In his name I pray. Amen. 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 First Peter 1. 
verses 10 through 12 reads as follows. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. As you all know, uh, my dad uh, went to be with Jesus uh, on December 30th, and the funeral was on January 8th, and some of you were there who were able to be there, uh, which we uh, were so grateful uh, and blessed by your presence. I have so many memories of my dad, uh, so, many, so many memories of my dad and my mom, and I covet you all's prayers as tomorrow uh, actually makes 22 years since my mom went to be with the Lord. So be praying for my mom. I mean, be praying for me as I grieve uh, the loss of uh, my mom and have double grief as I continue to grieve the loss of my dad. Okay, uh, But I have many memories of my dad. Uh, but the greatest memory, the greatest memory that I have happened just a few days before he passed. Just a few days before he passed, now I had been, throughout the entire time as he was in the hospital, I had been just reading scriptures over him and reading some of his favorite psalms to him, uh, and just reading the word and praying the word over him. Uh, but it was on this one night in particular, this Wednesday night, uh, that my dad was just, uh, and, and as he was, you know, in the hospital, he was, you know, he was weak and, you know, frail, and, he, you know, he wasn't able to, to talk as much. But on this night in particular, he was lit. <laughs> he, was, he was talking. And, um, and on this night in particular, I got a chance to walk through the gospel again with my dad. And so uh, just was walking through the gospel. And, and it really started because he sparked it. He, he started it and just started talking about uh, how he doesn't have to pay for his sins. This was, he just kept saying this. He was like, I, I, it, was like, it was like an epiphany moment for him at that time. It was like, it was like, I don't have to pay for my sins. And, and I was like, no, you're right. Like, Jesus already paid for them, for you. All you have to do is just receive that, believe that. And so then I started asking my dad, like, do you believe that Jesus is God? He's like, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect sinless life in your place and died the death that you deserve for your sin, was buried in the grave and rose on the third day? Uh, and in him alone, you would find salvation? through what he's done, and he's like, yeah. And so as I'm talking to him, and as I'm, as I'm you know, praying in my mind as I'm talking to him, it's just in that moment, it just, it just seemed like whether you know, he had made a profession of faith you know, a few years ago, or at this moment, he just gave his life to Christ for the first time, whatever it is, I believe when my dad took his last breath, that he entered into glory. Amen. And he entered into glory. Amen. And that God gave me the joy as this was a prayer request, a, a long running prayer request. And you all, saints, have joined in on that prayer request. I believe God answered that prayer. Amen. Praise Amen. God. 
Uh, amen. And he's, he, he saved my dad. And he gave me the joy of being able to lead him for the last time to Christ. What a great salvation. So great that it reached my dad. A few days before he passed. And can reach your loved ones. And can reach your friends and co-workers. And neighbors. This is a great salvation. And that has reached you. And me. Amen? And it's this great salvation. That Peter uh, reminds us of in our passage this afternoon. Mm. And has been reminding us since we started this book, right? Mm-hmm. He's been detailing this living hope that we have, this great salvation that we have. And this is what he is going to detail even the more as we dig deeper into this passage. And what Peter has been doing is that he's been reminding his audience, the, the saints of They were suffering and persecuted, right? He's been reminding his audience. You've heard me say this before as we've been studying this book. But he's been reminding them of who they are, Christians, and then whose they are, Christ, as they endure persecution and suffering. So he's been reminding them that you are Christians. At the top of the letter, he reminds them that they were chosen by God. A little later on, you have a living hope. And this living hope is a, a hope that's indestructible. Can't be touched. Can't be destroyed. It's kept in heaven for you. It's being, not only is it being kept, but it's also being guarded. <laughs> so then he details that even more. And then as we get to our passage, he reminds them even the more of this great salvation. So if I had to summarize this passage into one sentence, it may go something like this. We have a great salvation that the prophets prophesied, the apostles preach, and the angels long to ponder. We have a great salvation that the prophets prophesied, that the apostles preached, and the angels long to ponder. This will serve as our outline this afternoon for the passage. And so point one, the prophets prophesied. We'll see that in verses 10 through 11. Number two, the apostles preach. We'll see that in verses 12a through 12b. Number three, the angels long to ponder. We'll see that in the last verse, last part of verse 12. So let's look at the first one. The prophets prophesied. Right, look back with me at verse 10. Here's what it reads. It says, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So concerning this great salvation that he's been detailing at the top of chapter one, he reminds this audience that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about this. They prophesied about this. So which begs the question, what is a prophet and what is prophecy? One definition goes like this. A prophet is one who speaks for God and interprets his will to man. Okay? A very street level definition of both would be something like this. Prophets were servants of God used to foretell the word of God 
to the people of God. Again, prophets were servants of God used to foretell the word of God to the people of God. Notice that I said foretell. Foretell, not fortune telling or psychic readings, which is very different, right, than foretelling. So this afternoon, we ain't talking about Cleo. Well, y'all might remember the commercials back in the day. I don't know if y'all remember those commercials. I remember when I was young, she, she would pop on and she'd be like, call me now. You know, she would say, call me now. And she was, you know, uh, trying to get us to call her so that she could do some psychic reading, some, some fortune telling. So we ain't, we ain't talking about fortune telling uh, this afternoon. The prophets, what we are talking about, we're talking about them foretelling God's word because God gave them his word to tell. Right? People who do fortune telling or psychic readings claim that they can see in a person's future that they are receiving a word about what may lie ahead for a person's life. But they lie because only God is the one who knows the future. Only God is the one who knows the beginning and the end of one's life. And sadly, this is what some folks who may call themselves prophets today may be doing. They call themselves prophesying, but it may be prophesying. Mm. Come on now. Again, this is what prophets in the Old Testament did. They, they received the word from God and they essentially foretold, they, they told God's word to the people of God. In the Bible, we have prophets like Moses to Malachi, who God used to be his mouthpiece to foretell his word to his people. Again, it wasn't their word, right? It was God's word that came to them. And they were tasked just to tell the people. Right. Just to tell the people. For example, the prophet Jonah, right? You remember Jonah? Jonah 1, 1 through 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Notice again, right? And you see this as a running thread, prophets in the Old Testament, that the word, like the word of the Lord comes to them. God gives them his word. And so we see that in this very case here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right? So God's word came to Jonah, and all he had to do was go and tell the people. Well, we know, if you read the book of Jonah, you, you know uh, that he tried, to, he tried to dip on God. He tried to go a different route. Uh, but we know how that ended for Jonah. Right? In the end, he told the people God's word. God's love chased him down. Could not run God. He tried to outrun God, right? And even if you read it again, you see that he's trying to get away from God. And he's like, man, like God is everywhere. Like you can't outrun God. And he captures him. And then he sets him back on the path that he had initially entailed for him 
to tell the people, to tell the Ninevites about God's love, right? In our passage, we see that the prophets essentially prophesied about the gospel. We see that detailed in, in just a little bit. But they essentially prophesied about the gospel. And I like how one commentator puts it. He says, from Moses to Malachi, all of the Old Testament prophets were fascinated by the promises of salvation. This is what they were fascinated about. They were fascinated about the promises of salvation. They were fascinated. They were enamored about God's love. Right? A few more things that we see about prophecies here in this text is that the prophets prophesied about a future grace. Right? They, they, they prophesied about a, a future grace. If you look down at your text, you see that. See that little phrase there? It says, a grace that was to be yours. Right? A grace that was to be yours. Talking about, as Peter is, is, is sharing this to his context or to the group, right? Suffering Christians. This grace was to be yours, suffering Christians. Exiled Christians. Persecuted Christians. Right? Prophets prophesied about a grace that Peter's audience would experience. You see a similar phrase in the beginning of verse 12. Look down at verse 12a. It says, it was revealed to them. So them being the prophets, that they, the prophets, were serving not themselves but you. Right? You see, you see that, that element again. That future aspect of, of this future grace that was to come. And in God's mercy, this same grace found its home in your heart and in my heart. The prophets were used to tell about this future grace that they wouldn't see in a full sense like Peter's audience or even us Christians today. Now, this doesn't mean that they didn't experience God's grace. I'm not saying they didn't experience God's grace. They just pointed to Jesus' coming. They didn't get to experience Jesus' coming or experience the effects of Jesus' coming. For example, they're, the prophets are kind of like pilots and stewardess on a plane, right? Uh, you all know we went to Africa in early December, and we had a pilot, and we had some stewardess uh, who assisted us in arriving to our destination, right? Uh, they knew where we were heading, they knew where we were going, and they got us there, but they didn't experience the trip in the full sense like we did. It's the same with the prophets. The prophets knew where this was, or they were prophesying as to where this was heading, this future grace that was to come, and that the saints would experience, and they assisted in giving us in that direction. But they didn't experience in the same way, in the fuller sense, as the saints when Jesus was here on earth, the disciples who walked with him, and so forth and so forth, and even reaching us 2,000 years later. Now tracking with me? Another aspect of the prophecy that we see here is not only did the, prophet, did the prophets prophesy about a future grace, but they also 
searched and inquired carefully about these things. They searched and inquired carefully about these things. Go back with me at verses 10 through 11. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets studied these things carefully. Okay. They, 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 they studied their own prophecies and investigated them to better understand this grace that was to come. That's what these verses are essentially saying that the prophets were studious, <laughs> that, that, the very things that they were prophesying about, they also checked over these things. They, they studied these things carefully, intently, um, and, and, and wanted to study these things carefully. That's what they did. And what was the basis of their careful considerations? What was the basis of their careful considerations? Well, it was the gospel. It was the gospel. It was the gospel. It was the sufferings of Christ. And the subsequent glories, as the text tells us. You think with me, like passages like Isaiah 53 that Shashan read before the sermon. I'm going to read it again just to, to continue to set the tone of where I'm going. But you think about this passage, Isaiah 53, 4-6, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you think about the prophet Isaiah detailing the sufferings of Christ. He's detailing us here what Christ would endure. For your sake and for my sake. I even think I'm sure that the prophets looked at passages like Psalm 1610 that says, in thinking about the subsequent glories, right? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Here, thinking about the, the wondrous resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ and his ascension, right? So much so that the New Testament authors pick up on this same thread. They pick up on this same idea. Listen to Acts 2, 29 through 33. It says, brothers, and this being Peter, actually preaching. He was, this was the first Christian sermon, right? It says here, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. You see that same thing there, right? This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The sufferings of Christ, subsequent glories. You think about Hebrews 12, talking about the, the joy that was before him. Right? Jesus went to the cross despising the shame. He had a joy that was set before him. Subsequent glories. Glories upon glories. The Bible is truly amazing, family. It's, 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 it's truly, it's, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> it's almost like this whole thing is rigged. It's like the way God has set it up, like the prophets prophesying about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. These things happened. And they have impacted lives for over 2,000 years. People coming to know Christ, being transformed by Christ. So again, the prophets searched and studied these things and foretold these things that were to come. And all these things happened. They happened. Why? Because it was God's word that was given to them by God. And guess what? God is faithful to fulfilling his word. He's faithful to fulfilling his word. God is not one that should lie. He cannot lie. It's not in his nature. Men lie. Women lie. We lie. God can't lie. So he is faithful to fulfilling his word. This is also how we know a real prophet from a fake prophet. If what they say actually happens, right? You remember Deuteronomy 18.22? We'll read it. It says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the prophets prophesied about this glorious gospel to come, and it did come. So that's point one. Number two, the apostles preached. The apostles preached. Look back with me at verse 12a through 12b. It says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So this great salvation that was prophesied by the prophets was also preached by the apostles. So these were the 12 apostles, Peter being a fellow apostle himself. The apostles, like the prophets, were enamored with, they were fascinated by this great salvation. In the beginning of verse 12, we see again this reality that the prophets were, were, were humble. <laughs> they were humble. Uh, they realized that the future realities of the gospel that they, would, that they wouldn't see, and that was the basis of their message, would serve a future generation. Reserve a future generation. Take the prophet Isaiah, for example. 
right? His book was written in 700, 6, 685 BC. And 1 Peter was written in 80, 64, 65. If I did my math correctly, that's roughly 600 plus years distance between the two of when Isaiah prophesied about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories and now Peter is looking back to those things and, and picking up that same thread and communicating that to his audience. 600 plus years removed between the two. Talk about the prophets, so thinking about Isaiah and all the prophets serving the next generation. Serving the next generation of people who would come to know Christ and serve him. What if this is how God wants to use your life? And in some ways, he may already be doing that. I think he already is, right? But I just want you to ponder upon the question. Just want you to, just to, just to think about it. Have you thought about how God is using your life now to impact a future generation? What if you see minimal impact now only for the generation to come after you, after you're gone, and your impact exploded? What if that is how God is, is using you, using me? So yesterday I attended uh, my second funeral to start the year. Uh, this one of a fellow pastor, um, partner in the gospel, and friend, Clint Clifton. You guys may have seen the text that I sent you all about that. Uh, so attended the funeral yesterday, and, and, and it was packed. It was packed. Probably a thousand or more people. Um, the running thread throughout the funeral was that Clint loved Jesus. He loved his family. And that he loved the church. I mean, Clint devoted his life to making Jesus known through church planting. This is what he did. This, is, this was his heartbeat. This is what he, he did, like second nature. He did this in one day he found it, right? Which became a, a church planting movement. But then he also helped others start churches, right? In, in investing in and partnering with other pastors and training up other pastors here in the DMV area and really all around the world. Uh, and essentially, CHCC is an extension of Clint's impact. Mm. Essentially is. Of his time investing in me and, and in him as another running thread that was being said throughout the funeral yesterday and even on social media, just like, Clint saw something in me. Clint saw something in me or this or that. He saw gifts or this, that, and the third. And people... And he had a really good way of doing that, too, you know, pulling out the potential in folks and things along those lines. And, you know, he didn't, it, it, wasn't, it, didn't, it wasn't that he had to convince me to church plant, right? I, it was something that I had already desired and wanted to, but he did fan the flame. For others, people, you know, they were saying yesterday, they were like, I was in a meeting with him, and uh, all of a sudden he started talking about church planting. He was like, you should quit your uh, comfortable job, and you should plant a church. And they would be like, What? And then they end up planning a church. So he had a, he had a, a, a real way of, of encouraging and, and you know, challenging. And this down the third, right? Over and over yesterday, I heard story after story of Clint's impact, right? 
the legacy he leaves behind. One pastor reflecting on his life said that North America has been forever changed because of this brother. Because of his energy and his, his, his church planting efforts. That North America has been changed because of this brother. Now I'm sure Clint saw some fruit of his labors while he was here. But he won't get to see the fruit of his labors, the many pastors he raised up and poured into, churches planted, et cetera, et cetera, the impact of it 10, 20, 30 years from now, if the Lord should tarry. But he does get to experience the reward of his labors. Jesus, when he took his last breath two weeks ago, entered into glory, experiencing the reward, the very one he was enamored with, the very one he wanted other people to be enamored with, to be fascinated by, is the one now he is forever with, worshiping him. God used Clint, again, if you're tracking with me, similar to the prophets, right? And God used Clint not to serve himself, but to live his life in such a way that it has and will continue to impact the trajectory of our future generation. Mm. That's what the Lord did. And it's not necessarily about Clint. It's not about Clint. It's about the God he was in, enamored with. Mm. So in love with. It's about the God he was so fascinated with that caused him to live his life in such a way as this. Pouring out his life for Jesus. Pouring out his life to make disciples. To see churches planted in cities, in areas all around the world, overseas, and so forth and so forth. Are you living a life like this? Come on, brother. Am I living a life like this? Are we living a life like this? Do you realize that what you do now has an impact on others now and the future generation? Are you living with a legacy in mind? What do you want when you leave this earth and we all will leave this earth? What do you want to be remembered by? What do you want people to remember you for? I pray just like Clint, I want to be remembered <laughs> in the same ways over and over that I heard yesterday in the funeral. That Clint loved Jesus. I want to be remembered that I love Jesus. I love my family. And I love making Jesus known. I want that to be my legacy. And I want that to be your legacies. Our children's legacies. Because in the end of it all, at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's all that really matters. That's, that's where we're heading, family. And when we leave this earth, that's what we want to be remembered by. The things that matter most, amen? amen? The most important things. Jesus, his gospel, making them known. The church. The prophet's legacy was one that pointed others to Christ. And so was the apostles. So what was it that the prophets served up? What was it that they served up? It was the foretelling of a future gospel reality to come. 
Look at verse 12b again. It says, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's the gospel that was announced, that was heralded, told to Peter's suffering and persecuted audience of Christians. It's the good news of Jesus that was preached to them by the apostles who were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So then what is this gospel? What is this good news? Well, it's the good news about God's love. It's the good news about what God has done for sinners like you and me. The reality of it is, is that we were created in God's image after his likeness, created to worship him. We are fallen. And because of our fallenness, we deserve God's wrath. His judgment. But the good news is that he sent his son Jesus to take the judgment that we all deserve. He comes and he lives a perfect sinless life. He dies a death on the cross that we all deserve for our justification. He's raised from the dead on the third day, offering life to all who turn from sin and turn to him by faith. And this is the good news of the gospel that is being held out every week as we gather here. This is the good news that has captured, for those of you in the room who know Christ, it has captured your hearts. And for those of you who may not know Christ, we pray it captures your heart. That you would, like we are, become enamored with Christ. Fascinated with him and his beauty and what he has done. This is the Jesus I hold out to you. Amen. So if you are a believer, keep receiving this good news. Keep believing this good news. We don't outgrow this good news. We continue to grow in the depths and the height and the width of this good news. We continue to grow in it, to continue to relish in it, to cherish it as something that we need on a daily basis. We don't outgrow it. Amen. Amen. There are so many gospel implications to, to, to how we live out our Christian life, to how we live in our families, to how we work, to how we do X, Y, and Z. The gospel has something to say to that. So may we continue to grow in the understanding and wisdom and love of this good news. But if you're not a Christian, my prayer is that you would receive this good news. That you would indeed be granted saving faith. That you would turn from your sin. That you would turn to Christ by faith. That you would, you would come to wit's end of yourself. Knowing that you can't save yourself. But that you are in need of saving. You have to look no further. <laughs> you don't have to look in self. You don't have to look in anyone else. You can look to Christ he will save you. Amen. Call upon him and receive the gift of salvation. Amen? Amen. 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 So this is the good news. This is what the apostles preach. And then lastly, the angels long to ponder. The angels long to ponder. Look at the end of verse 12 with me. It says, 
things into which angels long to look. Christian, I don't know if you realized it or not, but you have a great salvation. (laughs) You have a great salvation. So great that the angels long to see the salvation you and I have. They long to see. They long to ponder upon the wonders, the glories, the beauty of our great salvation. Now, it's not like the angels haven't been in the mix. They've been very much involved. (laughs) They've, They've been around. They've seen some glorious things. They've been a part of the mix. I mean, think about this real briefly. Think about the angel of the Lord announcing to Mary and Joseph that they would be earthly parents to the Son of God. Think about that, Matthew 1. Or the angels ministering to Jesus after he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Mark 1. They they come and they minister to him. Or the angel of the Lord told the sisters that Jesus had risen from the dead. And to go and tell the others that he is risen from the dead, has been raised from the dead. And the list can go on and on and on of the angels' involvement and what they have seen. But the buck stops there. It stops there. They don't get to see and experience God's redemption like us. They don't get to experience Forgiveness from sin like us. They don't receive glorified bodies like we will in the end. I mean, just wrap your head around that this afternoon. That the angels long to see the glorious nature of the salvation you and I have. They they long to ponder. They love to, to, they want to peek around the corner. They want to peek into the room of this glorious salvation, but they can't. God in his mercy and his grace has given us eyes to see that. Has given us hearts to believe that. Here's what that should do. When you ponder upon that, that should humble you. It should humble me. To think about that we have a great salvation that the angels long to look upon. They want to know how that worked out. How, how does that work out? How do you, God, being holy and righteous, stoop low to save humanity? How does that work out? They want to know. That should humble us this afternoon. And it should also do another thing. It should should give you a greater appreciation this afternoon for your salvation. It should humble you and should give you a greater appreciation for your salvation. So here's what I want to do as we come to a close. I just want to share just a a, a few, and I do mean few, reflective applications about our glorious salvation. Just a few, and then we'll be done. Number one, since salvation is great to God, 
and was great to all of the prophets. They were enamored by it and fascinated with it, that they prophesied about it, and that it was also great to the apostles that this was the central message of their preaching. This is a central message throughout the Bible. That since it was great in all of these ways to all of these folks, it should be great to you. It should be great to you if it isn't already. Meaning that we should, ch- we should cherish this. Like we, we, we cherish greatness, don't we? We cherish greatness. We, we, we cherish the goats in our sports world, right? We, we, we cherish great foods. We cherish great apparel. We cherish great music. We cherish all of these great things. You go to the Grand Canyon, you, you, you're gonna, you cherish the, the view of the Grand Canyon. I've never been. I'd like to go. But you cherish these things. Even the more, we should cherish our great salvation. Because guess what? All of those things are pale in comparison to the great salvation we have. Pale in comparison. Don't even add up. Can't even, if you, if you did weigh it on a scale, the gospel will outweigh it every time. Our great salvation will outweigh it every time. Do you cherish your salvation this afternoon? Do you see it as something precious this afternoon? Precious, precious, precious. Number two. Since this great salvation is God's message of love to sinners like you and me, calls us to share it with others regularly, right? It's a great salvation that he calls us, that he has called us to believe, and now he calls us to share with others regularly. So a question, are you sharing it as the greatest message in all of the world to your unbelieving family members? friends, co-workers, neighbors, the list can go on and on. Are you, are you sharing, am I sharing it as the greatest message of all to all who the Lord may give me opportunity? Are we doing that? If we aren't, I pray we will. Come on, brother. This week, pray about, think about, Who is someone, and there is someone, who can you share the gospel with this week? Who can you pray for and pray that the Lord would open an opportunity for you to share the gospel with this week? Think about that. Pray about that. Be intentional to put some feet, to put some action steps to that this week. Or... So if you aren't sharing it, are you quick to share and chop it up on things that have no eternal value? Come on, brother. So when you're in those, you know, clusters of relationships that we all have, and you're 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 talking about life and you're talking about all these different things that involves your life and involves your family, are you are you so quick to talk about all these different things that essentially don't have I'm not saying they're not important, but eternally, the value, again, is it, is it eternal value? I mean, we're talking about 
the souls of your loved ones, the souls of your friends, the souls of your coworkers, the souls of your neighbors. Now again, we can't save them, but we trust that the God who can save will save, and all he does is call us to share his message of salvation. We trust him with the results. So I'm not in any way saying, I don't want anybody to walk out here and think like, oh yeah, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spruce myself up and I'm gonna go share this gospel and somebody's gonna get saved today. They might, they might. But it's, it's, it's more so our posture to it. It's more so when we are around friends and family, when we are around whomever that might be. What are we finding ourselves quickly talking about and chopping it up about that the gospel seems to just be an afterthought. Think about that. Pray about that. Ask the Lord to, to help you, to help me, to proclaim him. Again, I'm not saying we can't talk about any of those things, right? I'm not saying we can't talk about any of those things. I talk about those things. We talk about those things, right? We could talk about those things. I mean, that is who we are, right? Like we, we have families, we have work, we have, you know, sports teams, you know what I mean, that we, uh, you know, want to see win today or whomever the case, we, we have all these different things. So I'm not saying it's wrong to talk about those things, but at the end of the day, if that's all you find yourself talking about. If that's the basis of your conversation with your unbelieving friends and families all the time, I think you might want to, I think you might want to pray about that. Pray about that, consider that before the Lord and ask, Lord, how, how can I use those types of conversations to then be missional and get to a gospel conversation? Think about that. Pray about that. We'd love to uh, think about that with you and encourage you in that. But may we be about that, about proclaiming Christ. Number three, and lastly, in thinking about our suffering and pain and grief and hardships in this life, Salvation doesn't remove those things, right? doesn't remove those things. Instead, it provides the hope we need to persevere in this life and anticipate the removal of it all in the life to come. So again, as we think about the context of this book written to suffering Christians, persecuted Christians, amongst us, those who may not be with us right now, suffering in different ways, struggling in different ways, grieving in different ways, experiencing health challenges in, in a myriad of different ways, pain in a, different, a lot of different ways. The list can go on and on and on. Salvation doesn't remove those things. It doesn't remove those things. But what it does do is it does give you hope. It gives you hope to persevere in the midst of those things and anticipate the removal of those things in the life to come. 
gives you that type of hope, gospel hope. So may we, as we think about that this afternoon, may we stay encouraged. May we stay encouraged and may we be strengthened by the gospel this afternoon and encouraged by the gospel and that may God give us a fresh hope this afternoon as we anticipate, yeah, future realities where those things that I just mentioned, whatever that means for you, for me, as those things will be removed one day. They, they won't be anymore one day. They give us, give us hope to anticipate that future reality and live in the now, anticipate it until the Lord brings us home. Amen? Amen. 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 And may it do this. May our great salvation help us to continue to do this as the scripture here in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. May our gospel hope, this great salvation, remind us that these things are momentary. Light affliction, they're momentary. And what it's doing is it is preparing us. These pains, these sufferings, they aren't wasted. God doesn't waste anything. He uses them to make you more like his son. And in making you more like his son, he's also preparing you for future glory. Amen. So may we be encouraged. Stay encouraged, saints. Of this great salvation, the prophets prophesied, the apostles preached, and the angels longed to ponder. Let's pray. As Natasha comes back up. And Chrissy. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you uh, for this time. And uh, we pray, yeah, Lord, that you would help us not to lose heart this afternoon. Though, uh, yeah, though we are experiencing grief, though we are experiencing pain, health issues, parenting struggles, I mean, the list can go on and on, Lord. Help us not to lose heart. Help us to see that, Lord, you are using those things to make us more like you. And in making us more like you, can give us continued hope in knowing that one day we will see you. And in seeing you, we will be with you and like you. We long for that day. Thank you for the great salvation that we have. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to ponder upon it more and more today. To ponder upon the great salvation that you have given to us mercifully, graciously, saving us from you. You saved us from yourself, from the wrath that is to come, that is abiding over the heads of non-believers. God, we pray that you would reach our non-believing friends and co-workers and family members. And that you would use us this week to proclaim this great salvation. And trust in the great God to bring about great salvation in the lives of whom you deem, whom you choose. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.